Are you lit up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lees here with my friend Richard Harris, and we are talking to today Joy Hewitt Carvajal, one of the ambassadors of the Sales Rebellion, who works with Dale Dupree, and current champion of the Transatlantic Throwdown Part Two, the Women's Edition. Congratulations on your victory, Joy, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to good to see you. We've never had a chance to to speak before you and I, so this is a this is a treat. I don't know if you yeah. and Richard know each other already or not. But. No, not at all. No, no, no. It's the first time, so I'm excited for it. So help us help us get to know you uh, a little bit, Joy. Like, how did you get into sales? Where where did where did the origin of your interest in selling come from? Man, so it goes way back for me. Okay, so like I was born and raised in New Zealand. Um, my family grew up on a farm, 12 acres. We had a little, we called it a lifestyle block in New Zealand and um, we had cows and sheep. And my dad, um, he actually broke his back when I was 18 months old and he was also dyslexic. So like office work or anything like that was kind of not a thing that he's able to do. And so he like, we're kind of horticulturalists as a country, if you will. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, we make our own compost. If you look at anything about worm farms, like it's New Zealand, Australia, like you'll find stuff there. So my dad was into all that stuff, right? You know, we had a lifestyle block, so we had the land to do it. And my dad made compost. Like, so literally he would like find people's tree waste and all that kind of stuff. And he'd literally make compost, let it break down in the ground. And then you bag it up and you sell it and people would put it in their gardens. Um, so I was eight years old and I vividly remember loading up the truck. I would actually bag the compost. And then I'd load the truck up with my dad and I'd take one side of the street. He'd take the other side of the street. I'm literally knocking on people's doors saying, Hey, would you like to buy some compost? It was like five bucks a bag or something. This is my and, favorite. This is my favorite origin story of all time. Please continue. <laughs> Please continue. And so I remember being so stoked driving home with my dad that day because I had sold as many bags, if not more than him. And I was eight, right? Like I was just, I got the fire. Like I got a taste of what it felt like, you know, I'm selling these little old ladies and they couldn't, it's like, I was not selling girl guide cookies or like, what, what do they call those? The, um, yeah, girl, scout. Gun, girl scout, right? When there wasn't no cookies, it was straight up. I was selling broken down dirt, like, <laughs> and with maybe some tiger worms in it. So oh that was like, I feel and my uh, school teachers would always say that I could sell uh, ice to Eskimos. And now, so there was. Now, now, do you remember your pitch? Do you remember what you would say if you knocked on the door and these, these ladies answered the door? Do you remember what you would say? Um, I you, think I would say, hey, we're just, <laughs> we have some compost for it's organic. We like, wanted to see if you wanted any, right? Like, <laughs> real simple, just this is what. Didn't even, I don't think I introduced myself at all. Like, I was just, hey, I'm, I'm here walking up and down the street with my dad selling compost. Would you like some? It's five bucks a bag, right? Like, how, much, how much do you think, if you think about it, how much do you think people were just buying because you were this cute eight-year-old kid, like, out, you know, hustling, right? Like, Right. I mean, I, clearly 85 at least percent, right? right. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, like, when did your dad realize that he should stop selling and just put you right. full-time yeah. on the payroll? <laughs> like, I know, right? <laughs> so did, did that did that early experience 
um, kind of sink, sink its teeth in, in you then? Like, were you, have you been entrepreneurial and, and a salesperson most of your life? So to that effect, my dad did that so that he could earn some extra money for our family because we were not well off. My dad worked seasonal jobs at best. Um, we had, you know, there was very low income. My mom stayed at home with us because she valued family and being with us over money, but we still needed money to survive. Right. And so I got to be about 12 years old and I wanted to go to camp. There was an Easter camp that my church had like put on. It cost, I think, $100 to go, but it still was a lot of extra money. And the concept of me asking my parents for that money was like, I already knew it was a no-go. So I got my friend and we went to the local gas station and I would get that. I think I was able to, able to use their water, their hoses, and maybe even their detergent. And I literally washed people's cars for a donation, me and my friend. And we did it every Saturday. I'd start at 8 a.m. and I'd be done by five or so. And we would, there was some days we made $140 that day, but we did it enough to where I got enough money to go to camp. And then we ended up doing it like a few extra Saturdays as well, just because of like, man, this is a good way to make extra cash. I learned how to like talk to people. And I learned how to redo what I was saying and get it to where they were like, got the story. Like, this is what I'm doing. Would like to know if you'd like to support us. We're asking for a donation for you to, for us to be able to wash your car, right? So I was washing cars before doing a school fundraiser car wash was a thing. Like <laughs> I just, we just did it. I mean, we spent part of the money on like junk food at the gas station, no doubt. So they, they definitely profited from this whole or organization. But, um, I think it, it, it stuck with me of like, I had three jobs when I was in high school and, um, just working hard was always just something that was in me. Um, they would put me on the cash register when I worked at a cafe uh, because I knew how to convince people to like, I'd, I'd clear the case, right? So I, all the pastries and stuff in there, end of the day on a Friday, they would put me on the register and I would make sure that thing was absolutely empty by the time we're done. Um, you know, just, I guess it's just, it was part of who I was, but it was all power of suggestion and me practicing how I was like, talking with people. I'd know their name. They were regulars. They'd come in all the time. I'm like, Tracy, I know you need some of that key lime pie, right? Like, <laughs> and it, but with our coffee, it would taste delicious. But, um, you know, I dropped out of high school to go work at a cafe because I was doing like bogus, um, credits in my last year. Cause I already had university entrance. So I really didn't need to be there. Um, my education was fine. It was, I wanted to make money for my time. No. So, so <clears throat> tell everybody who's listening a little bit about the sales rebellion and, and what you guys, what you guys do and, and what your role is. So people have context for, you know, the conversation. Sure. So sales rebellion is a sales training and coaching company. So we offer training for teams and individuals um, to help them grow in their sales walk. Um, we focus on kind of a holistic approach to sales that it's more than just like what's your quota what are your numbers and are you hitting them it's how are you doing mentally emotionally physically spiritually like where are you at in life what are some maybe some mindsets of things that have happened to you in your past that are affecting your today and how do we fix those to where you have a better tomorrow and so we kind of come in, we help train, obviously, we look at cadences, we look at how you're doing things, what's your routine, what's your thing, but also like, how are you and what kind of a legacy do you want to leave 
when you leave this earth or when you move on to something else? What kind of an impact do so, you want to have? So give us some clients? give us some examples. That's great. And I love this stuff. Um, I'm all about the mental health. Um, mm. What I'd like for people who are listening, like, what are a couple of things you run into consistently, whether it's around motivation or afraid to pick up the phone or something? And then what kind of tactics or strategies on the mental side do you encourage? Like we all know, you know, pick up more phone, you know, that kind of stuff. But like what, what if someone's sitting here struggling with something, what's something you see fairly common and what advice do you give? So sometimes people have a performance mindset that really hurts them. Um, maybe they played soccer as a kid and that coach was so hard on them. Their parents were hard on them and they truly felt like if they didn't truly deliver on the field or wherever it was, they weren't loved or appreciated. And so everything came out of performance that if your grades weren't good enough, you weren't loved enough or loved, right? If you didn't hit this, then you didn't that. And so there was so much attached to, um, that performance mindset that actually crippled them in sales because it was when you felt that failure, when you felt that like that bump in the road, then all of a sudden you're not good enough. And you started like hurting yourself mentally as far as how you were able to focus and move forward and properly listen to what's really happening. Cause you've got a skewed view on what performance actually looks like. Right. And so Scott, Scott I, feel, I, feel like she's, I feel like she's picking on me. She specifically used Dude. soccer as a kid. And all yeah. that. <laughs> I, 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 you know, cause I know Scott's mom is listening. I'll just say to Scott's mom that I I've heard some of the stories and we won't go there today, but maybe on a birthday episode <laughs> yes. for Scott, we will. Scott's fired. Uh, so, um, but, but talk to me about that a little bit, even further. Right. So, mm -hmm. so great. So you get someone to admit they have this challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and Scott is much more this performance mindset than I am, right? I'm much, I, I see it very differently. What kinds of things do you tell that person to say it's okay to adjust that performance mindset? Because I think that's the, that's where I really want people to understand is like, okay, it's one thing to admit it. It's another thing. Well, what can we say? What can we do? How do we encourage that, that at least a thought change? Right. So I, I do think it varies to person to person because we've all got varied levels of this essential thing where we define ourselves based on our performance first on based what mm -hmm. our, our intentions. Um, we also judge other people often on their performance, not their intentions, right? But then we sometimes judge ourselves too heavily on our intentions and not on our performance. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a big difference, um, you know, and half the time we don't even know really what our intentions are behind why we do something, which is why intentional life and living is really important, especially in sales, right? You don't just send block things out to people and hope to get results and then you beat yourself up. And so think, define, well, define intentional for people listening again. It, it sounds really good, but it's a little buzzwordy, right? How do okay, you... so, so I would say intentional is thinking about how somebody's feeling, thinking about putting yourselves in their shoes, understanding where they're at. So when you're being intentional, you are thinking about the way that you yourself are trying to portray yourself in a way to them in the way that it would meet them where they're at. Does that and define it clearer for you? Yeah, that does. Dale talks a lot about that, about trying to meet people in their own headspace, right? Meet them where they're yeah. at. So you get to meet somebody where they're at. You get, you get to meet Scott and allegedly, you know, no fingers pointed, you know, Scott came from a very competitive driven background. Um, mm -hmm. 
so what do you say to someone like Scott that says, okay, look, you're, you know, you have this performance mindset, you've set yourself up for, Hey, if you're not performing, you're not good enough, or, you know, you're using that. How do you coach them to not lose the fire in the belly, right? Not to say, Oh, it's okay. You know, if you don't win, but also keep them focused. What kind of, what kind of advice would you give? So this for me comes back to, I don't know if you're familiar with David and Goliath. So David was a BA, right? The guy got like, he would kill lions and bears and tigers, anything that would try and come against like his little flock of sheep. And he was coming up against the giant Goliath. He got five stones. Now that he didn't get five stones because he thought he was going to miss one of, you know, he's going to miss Goliath. He knew he was going to hit him. He had five stones because Goliath had four other brothers. Okay. So he was going to, he thought they were coming out after him too. Now the guy's driven. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's after. He's prepared. And he goes in, he uses his sling and freaking knocks out Goliath. Then he goes and he goes over to Goliath and he takes Goliath's own sword, the sword that Goliath was going to destroy David with, and he cuts Goliath's own head off with it. Okay. So there's a big difference between looking at that sword saying that thing's trying to kill me and saying, you know what, I'm going to take that weapon that was supposed to kill me. I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to say, you know what, that's now my weapon that I get to use on the thing that wanted to kill me. So I believe that there's a, a massive thing to take with performance. And you can say, you know what, this wanted to take me down. It wanted to make me kind of cower to whether I was performing or not. So you can recognize I had a performance mindset and say, you know what, I can look at the bigger picture and say, all right, that sword that wanted to keep me trapped in what my accomplishments were and only whether I succeeded or not. And you can take that and say, I'm going to take that sword and I'm going to choose to let it carve out a path for myself to open up my world, yeah. right? So it's it's kind of, for me, I think performance is just one small part of a bigger picture. And when you understand the bigger picture, that no longer has the gravity anymore. It no longer seems so mountainous or so huge. Um, so some of it's just understanding perspective and getting like that 60,000 you know, foot view versus being so close to the situation that all you can see is whether you like succeeded or failed or not. Because when you get up high, you're looking at it and you're saying, you know what? That's a weapon I get to stand on, right? That failure is something I get to walk forward on. Like I get to learn and I get to grow. And so when you start seeing failure in a new way, you, it's actually, it becomes a success. So your performance mind shift set shifts. And now you're looking at life from a place of, wow, that failure was actually a launching post or that became a sword for me. And I see that in a lot of different areas of our lives where we have things that happen to us in our lives that felt like there was stuff that was going to crush us, that were going to hurt us, that was going to take us out. And we get to take those things and say, you know what, those are my weapons now. Like that pain, that hurt will not be wasted. And I'm going to walk out in favor with my new weapon. Like this thing is now something that the enemy wished he never gave to me. Right. Right. So, so I want to, I want to pause for a second. So Scott, you're of this performance mindset, right? How does this relate to you as the deep competitor that I know you are, right? Like, does this, is this align with the way you think of things or is this, or do you, you just need that anger and that chip on your shoulder to, to perform? 
Um, <clears throat> I don't think that those are disparate, actually. I, th I think that they're, they can be the same thing. I mean, when I'm listening to Joy talk, what I hear is um, you have the power and ability to change the narrative at any point in time that you want, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I'm all about that. So, you know, to use the weapon kind of analogy, like if, if someone's coming at me, I'm not thinking defensively. I'm thinking, how do I get that weapon from that person and go on the offensive? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and my, my chip on the shoulder um, as a competitor, like I'll make things up just like Michael Jordan. Like I'll make something up. Like Joy might drop something today about some client and I'll be like, damn it. Can't believe she got that like I, I need to do better i gotta beat her right i'll make it up and i i changed the narrative for me in a way that takes me from a defensive kind of position to more of an offensive kind of position and i and i use that to take action and and you know that this richard but like i'm a huge believer in in shrinking the uh time that has elapsed between idea and action and so that's how that's what I'm thinking about. It's just all about she said perspective as well. It's all about perspective. It's all about changing the narrative, you know, well documented. So I spent four years in the hospital, you know, sick. Well, I could use that as an excuse, disadvantage, crutch, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But instead, I took control of the narrative and just started owning it. And, you know, started talking about it all over the place and using it as a way to bring people together and, and and bring people towards me in a sense um and, I, and that's what i that's what i hear so i don't feel like they're they're different at all so i i would i'd be on the same page as sir yeah and i think that's the that's the thing because you can view it as a mindset that's a negative thing or you can say you know what this is just my life and it's my story and i'm going to turn it into something that's really good and so it's all about how you handle things how you react right like you're 90% of the difference is actually not what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. And so your life is your life. Things that happen to you happen to you, but it's your responsibility to take them, turn them into your weapons, turn them into the things that create your story and help you move forward in, in victory and change that narrative. Yeah. Well, let's change, let's change the uh, topic for a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about the um, UK versus USA event from your perspective i mean we were on the, the men's event you were on the women's event we both came out victorious which is fantastic um what was your experience like there what did you what did you learn from it and uh maybe what surprised you um man it, it was so fun i felt like it took all day to like calm down afterwards because it's it's so intense um there's so much happening at any time like it kind of looks like when you're watching that um they're just sitting there taking answers in but there's a lot of strategy involved you know we had group messages with our team so you know i may not have talked a whole lot but that's because we were organizing who was talking right we had it like ready to where it, it wasn't just kind of whoever had jumped in first got to say something and so um i tried to use the keyboard a little bit to where i wasn't talking over people i wanted to be respectful of my teammates because they had good things to say too um so it, there was there was a lot going on but it was really fun and what, i knew what what was surprising or what, what what happened that you didn't expect to happen i'm surprised we won based on stats man <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
what were, what were some, do you remember some of the questions and you, and, and you all had the stats and the answers at the, at the ready? So what we did, do you want to know what our background secret was of how yeah, we got absolutely. to know those stats? Yes, so absolutely. We had the, we had collaborated beforehand and when we collaborated, we were like, we need to look up all the stuff that Daryl's been into and looking at of the last few months. And we went in there and like basically scoured oh, his no. stuff to find, to find out like what kind of stats is he's going to throw at us. Right. And we're in that group chat when he's giving a question, we're like stalling a little bit waiting for like a consensus. Yeah, that's right. Put it down. Like, and we were nailing him on the head. Right. Um, so except for the one that I did. That's so but, funny. Yeah. All we all we all we did on the guys was like, hey, let's all show up in football jerseys. Like that was our pre-meeting. That was a soul session. Of right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's come in as a team. Uh, we forgot to bring on some walk-off music though, Scott. Next time we need to, you know, do that. What um did you did you happen to get a chance to watch any of the men? Yeah, versions? I watched that first, and that's what gave me the confidence to be like, oh yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> all right. So so, and we were talking, you know, sort of offline before we hit the record button about kind of the difference between the way we sort of walked in as, as the typical male trash talking thing and, and the approach that, that you suggested was different. I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that because I think it's really interesting from a collaboration perspective, from a sales perspective, um, in terms of the things we talk about. Yeah, so women and natural collaborators, we need people around us to help us survive, particularly in child raising when, you know, we live still semi in a society where the man goes to work and the woman takes care of the kids and probably goes to work and runs the house and does everything else in life. Right. And so there's kind of this need for collaboration. And so in the, this women's one, I know that half of us, we had somebody watching our kid right while we're on the, the show, like on the competition and we're, connecting with each other. We're making sure we're all on the same page where we had a good hour long meeting prior to the, the day before we wanted to make sure we were prepared and collaborated. And I think that's something that women tend to be good at. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready. Um, and so it, it gives us the ability to come in. I think that's maybe why it was a fiercer competition because women naturally we literally just whoa 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 <laughs> you're, you're competition you that that you cannot be serious you cannot stop the clock stop the clock fiercer. yes how are you people, defining, people how are you were, defining fiercer how are you defining fiercer it had a higher energy like it was it, <laughs> it was it was more intense for like wow. for the watchers i okay. people were okay. literally messaging me saying like it was so different from the men's like they were they were amazed like the different energy and how it felt comparatively to the men's competition so that was so their, i wonder that's their i wonder if, i want i wonder if, if fiercer means um thought-provoking prepared better answers whereas scott you and i see fiercer as trash talking Right. Mm -hmm. And just sort of that that male dominant stuff. But but I but here's the question. So so Joy, is does that mean you're throwing down the gauntlet and, you know, it, we're, we're now going to have a, a battle of the sexes on a on, on sales? Hey, if that's what you're into, I mean, I'd be competing against <laughs> no, my own sounds, leader. <laughs> sounds like a, this sounds like a no win situation. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think let's keep it to countries. Let's keep it to countries, right? <laughs> uh, that's, when did you, just out of curiosity, what got you to the States? When did you move here? Um, so I moved here back in 2009, right as the economy absolutely bottomed out, um, which was super not fun. And then process went through the process of immigration. I couldn't even work if I wanted to because they don't let you work while you're waiting to get your green card. Um, so, so, but what brought you here? Were, was it the hopes of finding a job? Was it your family moved here? No, I actually, I met an American. He was a professional skateboarder and um, we came over here. The relationship didn't work out. Um, been through a lot inside of that relationship and that's a whole nother story. Um, basically, he got super sick, super depressed, got end-stage renal failure, and I was his nurse for basically six years until I finally decided to say, you know what, I deserve better. Okay, bye. Um, and so that was how I got here. Um, did Went through the whole visa process and everything. Um, I'm a proud citizen now, and so, yeah. So, so I want to go back to... I want to dig a little into that, um, and, and we're not we're not here to, to trash on anybody, but we've all been in situations, right, where uh, maybe we stay too long. It could be at a job, doesn't have, you know, it could be any kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of things did you rely on as joy to sort of say whether you were leaving or not leaving? What kind of things? What was your grit? What did you? What was your mentality to sort of? you know, stick with this thing, right? Because you could, I assume you could have easily just said, screw this, I'm going home, but you didn't, right? You, right. you could have said, you could have done that at some point. What made you just want to keep going? I think, I think, what's the drive? So I would say God is number one for me. Um, my relationship with him and my mom always said it best that I run at life and not from it. And so I think for me, that's, that's a driver for me that I don't give up. I just keep going. And then when I find the next best step, I take that. And for me, I also, I learned that no matter where you go, you're going to be there, right? So you need to work on you and make sure you're the best version of yourself. And so I didn't start just like thinking about home because I always knew if I always thought about where I was and wishing I was back home, I wouldn't actually be able to enjoy my present or my today. And so instead of looking back at what I could have done or might have done better or shouldn't have done or could have done, I just chose to look at my future and my today and said, I'm going to enjoy and be present in my present. And when I did that, it helped me survive each day um, because there were definitely a ton of days that were awful and I was living at ridiculous stress levels. Right. And I just did it anyway. And you just, I just, you just don't give up and you, you just choose not to let it break you. Um, and you know, I look back now in such gratitude that I went through the experiences that I went through. I have a relatability to so many people that I would have never had otherwise. Um, I remember, you know, finally at the end, I was literally, he was, he was so content with mediocre, right? And I think we all have companies that maybe are discontent with mediocre that we work for, right? They don't want to grow or get bigger or get better or be the best, right? And then as somebody who wants like growth and life and health to be in that environment is suffocating. And uh, so for me, I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna be a, somebody who gets burned at the stake, you know, just because I just stayed, right? Like 
I, I'm not going to be a martyr. And so I decided to like call it for myself and said, no, I'm going to like pave new ways. Um, I know that having the jobs that I had and the friends that I had, but also massive and pivotal for me, I worked in sales through the whole time. And that was honestly, it was an outlet for me. I, I had so much fun just connecting with people that were real and kind and, um, I made great friends as coworkers and all of that created a new family for me because I didn't have family present around me. My, my mom's in New Zealand. So um, it wasn't until like a few years back that I even got her an iPhone so we could FaceTime and calling was super expensive. So, you know, it, it was rough, but you just, I don't know. I'm, I guess I have an innate grit and I know God's on my side and I'm going to, I'm going to plow forward. I, I, I'm sitting here going, well, this sounds like her dad, which I'm sure you've had that internal discussion. Like this sounds like, you know, your dad when you were younger and his, you know, he didn't give up. He recognized where your strengths were. He, he knew where to sort of let go of certain pieces and, and knew how to go forward and, and still continue and, you know, sell dirt, right? Like you right. literally, right. <laughs> you, you know how to sell dirt. So you, you've got a lot there. Um, by the, by the way, um, we, we just say the word mediocre one more time. We really liked your accent on that. Mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to put that on, I want to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mediocre. Don't, don't settle I, for mediocre. I, I have a, I have a training question for you, Joy. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> what has it been like to shift from a in-person training model to a virtual model and, and, and what, what are some tips that not people delivering the training, but people who are recipient of the training, what are some of the, the tips that you'd give them uh, to get more out of virtual trainings? Life is what you make it. So the effort you put in, you tend to get the results for. So even inside of virtual show up, right? Show up on time, be present, get ready to take your notes, have things ready. Maybe it's a, a call that's a recording that you can go over that you can, you know, dissect a little bit with your coach to help you, you know, focus on those tweaks that you need to make, maybe in the way that you're speaking or the tone that you're using or, you know, there's so many things I feel like you can do this time of virtual training in a lot of ways is an asset for for us because we really get we're not running about we're not commuting constantly we've got this time that we really get to um, focus on train upskilling and training ourselves to where when things are opening back up we're we're so much more prepared to get out and get after it so i think that's to me the biggest thing is like don't take it for granted and give it all you've got because you can still make massive success even during this time so many of our students are doing really really well even during this weird quarantine deal you know um and so it's about learning to be personable and real and not robotic did that answer your question yeah absolutely <clears throat> absolutely i love it i love it has it been hard to make the adjustment or no 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 what do you think richard has it been hard to make the adjustment no i think well from the trainer side it's the trainer it side yeah all right yeah from the trainer side um it has not been hard to make the adjustment for me. I'm actually in this world right now where like everybody's kind of saying yes, which is a little unusual because for six weeks there was, you know, it was, you know, 
they weren't even crickets for the crickets. Like there were no crickets, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so it's it's been an interesting place. I think what's happening is is that you know everybody's gone through their re-onboarding. That's what I've called it. We've re-onboarded to this work from home lifestyle. Yeah, we're trying to figure out how to do this. Um, I think people are the, the cool thing from a training perspective is that what I used to do in a day, you know, in eight hours, I'm now doing like three or four days in a row for like two hours a day, and the stickiness is greater. Right. Which is what the, the, the leadership wants. Right. They're like, oh, now we can digest it and and think on it and do things. And so uh, so that's a very interesting model. And I think that'll be uh, something that sort of sticks around as this goes back to regular world. Um, so I, I think that's one thing. And I think from the training, I mean, from the from the rep side, um, I think they're getting more out of it. I think they like the idea of, of like, hey, I can go do this for a couple of hours, but it's not my entire day. Right. Um, and and I can digest this and try it and go come back the next day with more with more questions. So I, I think it's an interesting model on the training side. That's that's been really, really um, eye opening and refreshing from that perspective. I, I think it's good also because a lot of what a sales rep does, especially when they're prospecting, it's kind of virtual. Right. Like it's not always knocking on doors and a lot of it is a phone call or an email or something virtually anyway. And so because we're kind of there in that space, we can help them develop that a little bit better um, with that understanding. So especially if they're, you know, SDR and they're just, they're just calling and dialing all day long. Right. And so they're used to just kind of sitting in one spot doing their thing. And so as coaching, if we could break up that monotony for them a little bit and help them do the same thing for the people they're calling, right? The whole point is that they should totally. be breaking up the monotony for their prospects. They sh- they totally agree. Yeah. So, so we need to sort of get to, to wrapping this up. This has been a fascinating conversation, by the way. Um, you know, I never, I never imagined that I'd talk to someone about selling dirt. Like, I think that's fascinating, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, thank you for joining us. And, you know, before we go, is there something we can do to help you? Is there something you guys want to promote at the Sales Rebellion? Got a happy hour coming up or a special or any cause that you're supporting them or, or just need some advice from us? Um, so we have hideaway, hideaways. Um, they're free for anybody who wants to be a part of them. They're um, basically little hour-long sales trainings with all of us. So keep an eye out on LinkedIn for those because they pop up regularly. Um, I don't have one right off bat right now that I can promote, but we've got a ton of coaches that are always bringing crazy cool content. Um, I think that as far as you guys helping me, I'm always looking for students that have the same kind of a mindset or wanting to learn and grow. And I'm there to help coach and train. And I have my team of rebels. Uh, and people with amazing specialties, whether it's in process or whether it's um, just leaving your legacy and learning how to do that. You know, we want to help you guys and help your teams um, learn how to sell better. Uh, so I guess I'm just here. You know, I believe that what you put out there, it comes, it'll come back for you at some point. So I always want to bring people love and um, hope in life that they can live better and uh, live happier because happiness is an inside job. So. Well, that's awesome. So people, I think the easiest way for people to get a hold of you is on LinkedIn, right? Or, yeah. or find you at the cellsrebellion.com. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, please be sure to give Dale a hard time and tell him that we said you did way better than he did. <laughs> That's right. On his <laughs> yeah. on his podcast episode, we gotta we gotta make sure your episode gets more downloads than his. Right. Uh, oh my gosh he'd be so stoked though because you know how he is man yeah, like he's the leader of all leaders like he will lift everybody up before he lifts himself up all day long totally so. totally agree yeah. so thanks for, thank thanks you for so much man we really appreciate it it's been so fun thank you guys bye joy bye